for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass, this podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's what I'm talking about. Oh my goodness. We're here again. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Building Without a Blueprint. I am your host and the founder, Princeton Parker. Hey, how you doing? You all right? Mm, mm-hmm. That was me giving you time to respond. Like I genuinely care about like if you're good or not. Like I was literally pausing like you just tell me how you doing. You know, it's one of those things. I don't know if you all remember if you used to watch cartoons like I did and I always used to think it was so epic when they would ask you a question and they would actually leave space like in Blue's Clues or Dora the Explorer and they would would actually be like say map and like legit they would hear how awkward that was and so if you actually responded when I left that space for you to respond knowing that this is a recording I just want you to know that you and I can be friends okay so just email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com and tell me I responded in that space and you automatically get to be friends it's pretty much just that simple (laughs) haha fam Thank you for tuning in. I'm, I'm so excited about these episodes that are in season one, and I pray that they are rich to you and that they are a blessing. So last week, peep this, we had on the podcast uh, the incredible Dr. Mickey Taylor. Like, wow, by far one of my favorite human beings on the planet, full of wisdom and just somebody who has impacted my life in a super huge way. So I think it was cool to have her on the show. Now, just some behind the scenes for you, that episode was recorded, I mean, a really long time ago. It was literally recorded right after I recorded the first episode and we released those three all together when we put the first three kind of teasers out there. But I I held on to it for so long because I knew that I wanted to do this follow-up, right? I wanted to unpack some of the things that she talked about because I love, as I often say, this show is about the how, right? the how, how do I do that? And so one of the things that she touched on was something that I wanted to spend some more time unpacking. And I wanted to unpack it from a faith perspective, right? She used this phrase a lot. She said, be careful what you allow in your dwell space, right? Now that is like Dr. Mickey Taylor in her poetic grace, right? Like your dwell space. I dare you to go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow and just talk to someone and be like, how's your dwell space? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just, I high key like challenge you to go do that for someone. I love how articulate she is. As I begin to think about that though, what she's really getting at in three to four different points in that episode is this phenomenal B word that you need to get used to. Yep, I want to talk about the B word in this episode. You guessed it. I want to talk about boundaries. 
boundaries. Boundaries are huge in terms of your ability to love yourself. Boundaries are huge in your ability to love yourself, okay? If you're taking notes, I want you to start here. Boundaries are a reflection of value, okay? If you're taking notes, start here. Boundaries are a reflection of value. I can tell how much you value something by the extent to which you're willing to protect it, right? You can always tell how much something means to someone by how willing they are to protect it. I'll give you a great example. There's a lock on your door because you value what's inside of your home. There is some type of code to your bank or to your account, right? Because what's in there is valuable and you have a lot of guard, hopefully, around where you have your debit card laying around. We put our hand on the keypad when we're at the ATM, hopefully, because you want to value, because you want to protect what it is you value. Listen, if you want to see what somebody values, you try to reach for their phone in a time where they ain't trying to show you something specific. And then when they try to show you something specific, don't you try to swipe left or swipe right. You look at exactly what I'm showing you. You know how much somebody value their phone when you are looking at something they want to show you and you try to hold the phone yourself and they clench to it. Like if you're going to see it, I'm going to show it to you. And if there's a glare, you just tell me to tilt down or tilt up. <laughs> Ain't nobody about to let you hold this phone. Cause there's some stuff in here that I either value or am just afraid or ashamed for people to see, but there's no judgment here at building with auto blueprint. No, there is not. <laughs> so, the idea is I can tell how much you value something by the boundaries that you have, the extent to which you are willing to protect it. So if we look at our lives and realize that we have no boundaries, no terms or conditions around which people know how they can and cannot engage with us or terms and conditions for how we can or cannot engage with ourselves, a person with no boundaries reveals a person who truly has no value. Now, point number two. Boundaries must be set out of value, not fear. Boundaries must be set out of value, not fear. I set my boundaries because I value who I am, not because I'm afraid of what's on the other side of those boundaries. Okay, I'm going to give you a good example that might work to make this hit home. When we think about relationships, I don't set boundaries in relationships because I'm afraid of being hurt. We never set boundaries out of fear. I don't set boundaries because I'm afraid to be hurt again. Because when you do that, those same boundaries can sometimes prevent the right love that we're looking for from getting in. I set boundaries because I value who I am. I value me. I value what I bring. I value my headspace, my thoughts, my life, and things of that nature. And when you set boundaries from value, not fear, it changes the way you set them. It changes the way that you carry them out. And it changes how you stick to them, okay? So point number one is that boundaries are a reflection of value. The extent to which I value something will be displayed by the extent to which I am willing to protect it, okay? Point number two with boundaries, boundaries must be set out of value, not fear, okay? I don't set my boundaries because I'm afraid of what might happen. I don't set my boundaries because I, I set my boundaries because I value who I am. We don't want to do anything out of fear because anything done out of fear is bondage, okay? 
So I want to unpack a little bit about the how, the how to as far as boundaries, but I want to use an interesting case study to do it. I, I want to talk about Jesus and I want to talk about Jesus, not because I am a preacher or not because I'm, I'm obsessed, but I have two really profound reasons why I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus as a case study for setting boundaries for two reasons. Number one, because I feel like the church um, is the place where we often talk about emotional health the least. I think at least for me, I was afraid to join the conversation about self-love because I was so conditioned by my understanding of theology at that time to believe that it would lead directly to pride. I sort of conflated love of self with with an idolizing of self, right? I conflated this idea of loving oneself to worshiping oneself or exalting oneself above another. And so I shied away from self-love, believing that it would compromise my understanding of humility. Now, I'm going to give this to you for free. Dr. Wayne Cheney out of Long Beach said something that was completely powerful. He said, humility is not your ability to be low. Humility is strength under control. I don't have time to sit there. I wish I had time to preach that all by itself. Just write that down and go on with your life. That's for free. Humility is not your ability to be low. It is strength under control. So I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what humility was. I thought humility was my ability to hang my head down, to reject compliments, to walk very softly, to not be honest and forthright about the things that I was good at or what I had achieved. And to just really try to generally suppress the expression and the fragrance or flagrance of of who I was and am. And so that was that is what prevented me from the self-love conversation. So I feel like there are one of two people, right? There are people who never got that conversation. You never got that conversation in the context of the church, particularly my heart bleeds for my Pentecostal brothers and sisters who were raised in the Pentecostal church like me, because sometimes one of the dangers of Pentecostalism is that we become so sensitive in a very good way to the movings of the spirit and to what it feels like to be connected to the Holy Spirit, right? And to move in the supernatural. But in that process of becoming hypersensitive to the feeling of the spirit, we become desensitized or we attempt to ignore the feelings of our humanity. And what we have learned and what I hope we would know is that that's not healthy. Neither is that something God wants us to do. God never wants you to be so concerned or so in touch with how he feels that you're not in touch with how you feel. Because if you're not in touch with how you feel, you cannot be a good steward of what he feels and how God wants to move on the inside of you. So it's so important. So I, I want to use Jesus as a case study because some of us have grown up in church and never been talked to about boundaries. Like we were just taught that servanthood meant that you live this life where you have no boundaries around anything. You just, to be a servant of God, to follow Christ means that you just out here. And I want to use Christ as a case study to debunk and disrupt some of that uh, very problematic theology that we learn over time. Okay. So that's one group of people I'm talking to. Now, another group of people I'm talking to, I'm going to say this to you and you're going to be like, yeah, fam, great. 
heard this all before because you were exposed to an emotional health conversation, but you were not exposed to it in terms of being able to find that in a theological space or conversation. You weren't able to find that as it relates to the Bible, right? So I want to talk to you as well. Those of you who are going to hear these themes and they have resonated with you, but you've never felt like they were applicable or that there was space for them or that they were found in the Christian space. And so I believe that one of the things I've been called to as a preacher and one day as a pastor is to help people unpack this very narrow road or between, or, or not narrow road, but the intersection, right, between theology and emotional health, between Christology, the understanding of Jesus the Christ, right, the savior of the world, and emotional health. That's one of my three passions, right? I have three passions. This is totally on the side. As a preacher, I have three passions, three lenses, or three hermeneutics, as we would call them in theological space. One is I preach about Pentecostalism. I'm Pentecostal to the core. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Two, I'm always going to have an emotional health, a psychological lens. I believe in it. I'm going to be that person that prays in tongues with you, and I'm going to tell you to go to therapy. I'm going to do both. <laughs> I'm going to lay hands and put oil on your forehead, and I'm going to tell you to go to the doctor and, and take your medicine, right? We're going to pray together, and I'm going to assign you books to read so you can unpack your trauma. I'm going to tell you that God's going to do it, and I'm going to tell you you need to do work because I believe in, in that emotional health, psychological lens or hermeneutic of the scripture. And the last is a social justice lens. So if you're in either one of those categories, I'm talking to you. The Blueprint for Boundaries, Using Jesus as a Case Study. Here's where I want to start. Even Jesus had boundaries. Trip on that for a second. Whether you are a believer or not, let's explore the concept of a Christ figure. The concept of a Christ figure is that this Christ is the incarnate manifestation of God. The fleshly dwelling of an eternal substance or deity. Colossians puts it this way, that the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. The Bible puts it this way in Matthew, that Jesus the Christ is Emmanuel, God, capital G, eternal substance, eternal deity, eternal personality, God with us in flesh. So what we believe about Jesus from a doctrinal standpoint is that he is both human and divine. He completely teeters this line of being 100% divinity, 100% eternal, and 100% mortal, fleshly human. And he lives at the integration of the two, right? Now, this is a very cheap example, but sometimes I like to pull on things that just help us contextualize it. Remember Hercules, <laughs> this idea that there was this super immortal strength in Hercules, but he was understanding how he was wrapped in this human package sent to earth, right? A myth pulling from, from Greek mythology on some of those same tropes, right? So if we believe that about the Christ figure, if we believe that he was the son of God, that would mean that he was infinite in knowledge, wisdom, power, strength, ability, but yet the scripture is clear that Jesus had boundaries. So if someone <laughs> who is infinite in wisdom, power, strength, knowledge, all that fun stuff, still felt it necessary to have boundaries around something or someone that was infinite, then how much more 
should we as beings that are finite have boundaries too? If you're taking notes, I want you to add this to your notes. I want you to add this to your notes. That one of the key steps in your self-love journey will be learning to acknowledge, embrace, and then honor your limits. Let me say that again. Add this to your notes. One of the most important steps in your self-love journey will be for you to acknowledge, embrace, and then honor your limits. You must acknowledge that there's going to come a point where you just cannot do certain things, right? I cannot heal the world. I cannot change people. And what you can do is even as I say these things, you can write these down and use them for an affirmation. Anytime you're taking on more things than you should and your boundaries are beginning to blur, I want you to begin to write this down. I cannot heal the entire world. I cannot change people. I do not control the way other people receive me. I do not control the way other people steward their emotions. I do not control the way other people receive my truth. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on, right? Even more limits, more limits like acknowledging this. I need rest. <laughs> like that sounds simple, fam, but just look at your life and assess or analyze how many times you honestly grapple with the fact that you need rest. You cannot exist on these three to four hours of sleep a night and you're doing and I'm preaching to Princeton more than I am to you right now okay the first step is you must acknowledge those boundaries now you must embrace them you cannot feel guilty for your limits you cannot continue to feel guilty that you cannot do everything for everyone and yourself part of loving yourself means that you begin to love the fact that there's some stuff that you can't do I am finite fam I'm sitting here at 5'6", 162 pounds, and that's all of me. Ain't no more than that. I can be in one place at a time. Like, this is what I have with me. And there comes a point where I have to not allow myself to be guilty, right? And you have to go on that journey first because if you have not gone through that work to not be guilty, then you're going to allow people to put guilt on you when you start saying no, when you start shoring up your boundaries. It's going to come a time where if you have not done the work to absolve yourself of guilt because you've acknowledged your limits and embraced them, other people are going to make you feel guilty, fam, time and time again, right? So the first is you must acknowledge them. Look, this is what I can and cannot do, right? The second is you must embrace them. I no longer feel guilty, right? I am finite. I am limited, which means I must embrace the limits that I have, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Part of embracing that is also thinking about the fact that there are other people around the world to do what it is you cannot, right? So I am horrible at organization, right? I'll give you an example from work. Like I used to trip all the time that, that on the teams where I served, I was not the business expert, right? But I had to learn to embrace that limit by understanding the gifts and the people around me and my team members, right? That's somebody's wheelhouse. They are able to do that. I'm gonna stick to motivating and inspiring and teaching and 
doing all that fun stuff and seeing people because that's my wheelhouse, right? Other people can do what I can't and that helps you embrace your limits. The last is you must honor them. That's where boundaries come in. Boundaries help you honor the limits that you've acknowledged and embraced that you have, right? It is my ability to say that I will not compromise my limits by trying to do what I've already acknowledged I don't have the capacity or the bandwidth or the space. And sometimes it's not in general. Sometimes it's just at this moment and time to do. So self-love, an important part of that journey is acknowledging your limits. You must acknowledge them, embrace them, and then start to honor them by setting boundaries. Is that making sense so far? Y'all talk back to me now. Is it making sense so far? All right, cool. Let's go deeper in this thing. Jesus was infinite, and yet he still felt the need to have boundaries. How much more then should I, who someone who is finite, right, who is limited in my ability, in my strength, in my knowledge, in my power, in my time, in my health, all that thing, all those things, how much more should I have boundaries? Now, we know from our understanding of, of the surveying of the life of Jesus that everything he does is intentional. One of the beauties of, of Jesus, outside of him being the son of God, outside of his prophetic gifts, outside of his miracles, outside of his social justice approach, outside of his love for the poor, and outside of his countercultural nature, if there's something we are to take from him, we should be able to take how well Jesus lives intentionally. Jesus is such an intentional human God, son of man, son of God, person, all of that. He is so intentional. So nothing that he does is by accident. Everything that he does is by design so that we might have a pattern after which to mold ourselves, right? The call is that as a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. So he doesn't just say, hey, follow me because I'm dope. He says, follow me because I have exhibited patterns of healthy living that would help you to have the abundant life I want you to have. Jesus had infinite power. If Jesus being infinite still felt the need for boundaries, then how much more should we who are finite set up and reinforce in boundaries? So, there are four boundaries that I want to lift up to you before our time is up that Jesus had that will help us as we continue to display value for ourselves and as we continue to move about and build our buildings of self-love, okay? The first boundary is this. Jesus had strict boundaries around his time. Jesus had strict boundaries around his time okay what we see in jesus is i want you to see a couple of things okay the first is i want you to see that jesus practiced spending time alone jesus was a very famous individual he was a very needed individual he had a lot to accomplish in 33 years of living, and yet he found time to spend alone. And for most of us, our biggest excuse with setting time alone is this. My girl needs me. My boy needs me. My kids need me. My job needs me to put in these extra hours. I need to hustle on this or else I'm not going to get this deal. I need to finish this or else I'm not going to get that out and nobody's going to see it and I'm going to delay my career. I need to do this. And what we use 
as we begin to chip away to make space for that extra laboring is our time alone. So not only do we try to, or not only do we compromise our time alone with more projects and work, quote unquote, that we have to get done, but we overfill it with people. These people need me, or these people can be mad if I don't show up. Jesus was more famous than all of us combined, was more needed than all of us combined. And yet he still was intentional about being like, look, y'all will be all right. <laughs> I know all y'all was sick before I got here. I know all y'all need healing. I know all y'all need to me to explain the scriptures to you. I know you need me to answer some questions about social justice. I know you got some friends that's been dying to meet me. I know you got a little issue you've been working out. I know y'all hungry and y'all want me to do the whole, you know, fish and five loaves miracle again. Y'all really like that. It was some fried fish and it was seasoned very well. Y'all ain't had it like that before. And you trying to tell me you hungry. I get all y'all got needs, but listen, y'all going to be all right for another day. While your homeboy Jesus goes into the mountain and chills with me and pops real fast. Y'all going to be good. <laughs> Can I just release over you? Princeton, don't get churchy. You already churchy. You can't help it. Can I release over you the freedom to tell people or at least yourself about people that they'll be okay? If I take a break, y'all are going to be all right. That's part of acknowledging your limits. Like, I'm not the thing holding this up. I'm not the thing holding this relationship up. I'm not the thing holding up social justice. I'm not the thing holding up this economy. I'm not the thing holding up my job. I'm not the thing holding up this family. Y'all will be all right if I take a day. Jesus knows how to prioritize his nourishment over other people's needs. Let me say that again. Jesus knows very clearly how to prioritize his nourishment over other people's needs. He's God. So he knows very clearly. I would imagine it's like a radar. Like Jesus could be like, boop, 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 six, 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 boop, 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 heart issues, boop, 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 depressed. Like he just was like hyper aware of the needs of the people around him. But he had the strength to know when to pull back and say, look, I'm infinite, but I'm in this finite package. I need to take some time, right? What did he do in those times? In those times alone, we know that he rested. We know that Jesus slept, right? The Bible is even very clear about how when the disciples were on the boat, Jesus retreated even in the context of being on the boat, right? He's in the bottom, chilling, resting, like I'm going to take a nap, right? The Bible says that he's very conscientious about praying. The Bible says in Matthew 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. So look at Jesus' boundary around his time and how he sets that up. This is what I want you to put in your toolkit. Number one, he makes sure that he's alone. Number two, he makes sure that his environment changes, right? Not only did he send other people away, but he changed his environment. Like, don't just spend time away from other people in your room where you're going to feel that weight again, like get out of your office, get out of your house, go to nature, go to the beach, go hiking, go to a place you have never been before, go eat by yourself, go and not just be by yourself, but have a change of environment, right? So he went up into a mountain, Matthew 14, 23 says, apart, right? So it says where he went and who he was with, he was alone. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. I'll call attention to one thing. It says he went, sent the multitudes away. So he was very clear, right? 
it wasn't just like, because this is what some of us do. We use unintentional time alone to count for <laughs> our, us investing ourselves in ourselves, right? Jesus was intentional. He canceled plans. He told the multitudes, okay, we're done here. Thank you. <laughs> Love y'all. Bye. See you next time. So he sent the multitudes away. He was intentional. And then he went up into a mountain. He changed his environment apart by himself to pray. He did something that spiritually and emotionally rejuvenated him. And for Jesus, if we pay attention to how he prayed, prayer was not just a petition space for him to say, God, you know, your will be done. If you really look at how Jesus prayed, prayer was his processing space. So don't let anybody tell you that you have to pray these perfect prayers. No, Jesus would pray some stuff. He'd be praying like, look, I'm upset <laughs> or let this cup pass for me. I don't want to do this no more. Or he would pray things like, look, I'm looking at the 12 that were assigned to me and I'm looking at the people who I've helped and I fear for them, right? Like prayer was his processing space to get all that stuff out that he was taking in while he was helping the world. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So I imagine that the Bible is including this verbiage about evening because it's it's signaling a transition of time. So it wasn't like Jesus chilled for 30 minutes and then went right back to the multitudes. He was by himself for a period of time. So he had boundaries around time that he would spend alone. Question for you, work you need to do as you're building your boundaries. How much time do you spend alone? Is it intentional? Do you do it on a consistent basis? Is it carved out so you know it's your time? For me, I still practice the Old Testament ritual of Sabbath. I take a whole day and then sometimes I'll do it in different pieces where it's like, look, this is Princeton time. And Princeton's going to do what fills him. I love the beach <laughs> and I love brunch. I call it B&B, &B, brunch in the beach. And I'll pick a beach I haven't been to or one that I really like, find a new brunch spot I haven't tried, go to brunch, watch a YouTube video that'll inspire me and spend time on the beach, talk to God and just be reminded of how big the world is and how small I am. That's my thing. And I love concerts. So when I want to have Princeton time, there are like, I don't trip. Like I buy this one ticket situation like it's nobody's business because that's my jam like it's what I love it feeds me and so is it intentional do you have it my B&B &B, brunch on the beach every week I don't miss <laughs> like and if it's something on a regular day trust and believe I'm gonna find a different day to do it why because that's Princeton time it's time that oh and therapy so it's usually B&B &B, time in between and then therapy that's my like Prince is gonna come out of that being like ah. <laughs> So how intentional are you? How often is it? Is it weekly? Is it bi-weekly, right? Where do you go? Jesus went up into the mountain. That was his vibe. He loved nature. So do I. Where do you go? And it could be different, but have you thought about it? Have you thought about what places you need to go to give you life, to get you away from your day-to-day -day responsibilities, right? Third of all, do you make sure that you're by yourself? And do you protect that boundary? Do you honor that limit that you have, that need that you have to replenish you and spend time alone? Do you honor that? Do you not let people who, when they hear about your idea, like, can I come? I don't care what you say, fam. You're not invited to brunch in the beach. You're just not. It's not a thing for you. It's a Princeton thing. And I love you. I love you a lot, but you're not invited. <laughs> we can go to brunch another time because I'll brunch three, four times a week in Jesus's name, but you're not invited to brunch in the beach. You have to protect it. When the girls are like, hey, we want to get together. Sometimes you're just going to have to 
say no, right? Because this is the time I've carved out for myself. That's what Jesus did. Let's look at his other approach to time. Jesus' other approach to time, as far as boundaries was concerned, was he knew how to not prolong certain experiences or conversations. When you look at Jesus, he's really good at conclusions, right? Some of the boundaries that we have is we don't know when to end a conversation or a relationship or an experience. Some people just talk forever and you have to know when a conversation is over. And that's a part of the boundary to be able to say, thank you so much. It was so great talking to you. I'm going to take off because I have X, Y, and Z, right? Jesus was never, ever, ever long-winded in some of his interactions or relationships. Like the Bible says, hey, he passed by Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, how you doing? I'm coming to your house. Prepare the way. And I'm going to spend the day after that. We don't read where he was over obsessed over Zacchaeus's life. He talked to the woman at the well. Hey, ma'am, we're going to have this discussion after this. The Bible says she left, went to go throughout the city to tell them about who Jesus was and what he had done for her. And he went about his way. Like Jesus knows how to not overstay a welcome or not allow other people to overstay their welcome, okay? So how good at you at cutting off things when they're going on too long? Number one, the first boundary of Jesus was his time. He knew how to spend time alone. He knew how to make sure it was in a different environment. He knew how to tell people, multitudes, God bless y'all, see you next time, I got things to do. And he knew how to make sure that while he was alone, he was doing things that replenished him, which we know for Jesus was prayer and, and rest. There may have been other things that the Gospels don't record. Second of all, he knew how to not prolong relationships or experiences or things like that. So the first boundary that we can learn from Jesus when we are on our self-love journey is having boundaries around your time, your time, your time. People who value themselves value time. They don't waste time. They're not late to things. Like, like I think, one, and this is what I'm working on. I want to value my time enough not to be late to things, right? My time is valuable. I, I don't have time to show up late because my time, when I arrive to something is valuable. Like when I arrive to something, I'm putting my presence there, right? Putting my presence there. So I don't, I value myself too much to make my presence late or to, to not have healthy boundaries around how I engage with time. Time is not to be wasted because my time is precious. Your time is precious. And I want you to believe that and start to set boundaries around it. So number one, Jesus set boundaries around his time. Number two, Jesus had clear boundaries around who he gave his fullest self to. That revolves around two things. He did not reveal himself as the son of God to everybody. If you got that revelation, fantastic. But he did not go around pouring out his soul saying, this is who I really am. Now he would teach it and he would preach it and make sure it made its way into his demonstration and into his teachings. We don't see a whole lot of rare moments where he revealed himself in his fullness and in his glory. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus showed himself in his, what we would call from a Christian standpoint, in his glorified state, right? In his godly state outside of a human body, he had 12 friends, 12 disciples, mentees, little brothers, little sons, if you want to call them that. He only revealed that truest form of himself to three of them. So I think when you really love yourself, you become conscious and careful 
about how many people know everything about you. How many people get that opportunity to observe your naked soul, right? How many people get the opportunity to know everything about your history and your story and the way you think and what you like and what you dislike? Because not everyone's able to handle it, but that's setting boundaries out of fear. Not everyone deserves it. You don't deserve to know everything about me. And I want you to get to the to the point where you really cherish that. Jesus said, look, you, you don't, you're not at the place, fam. You might be able to hear me teach about it and say, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when I come to start telling you, like, look, I'm God and I'm going to let you see me in my heavenly state, the state that I've carried before I accepted this assignment to come down to you, man, that's on another level. He was careful about who he gave his fullest self to, right? One was his identity, his identity as the true God. But the second, which was very interesting, was he was very careful about who he gave his gifts and talents to. The Bible says something very interesting in Matthew 13. Let me read it to you. Jesus said unto, him, unto them, have ye understood all these things? They said unto him, yes, Lord. And then he said unto them, therefore, every scribe which is instructed under the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And it came to pass that when Jesus finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Watch this. Insomuch that they were astonished and said this, whence hath this man this wisdom? And these mighty works. In other words, they say, who this is? Where he get this from? They say, ain't this the carpenter's son? And is not his mother, ain't his mother just Mary, the, the, the young one? And ain't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and aren't his sisters, all of them with us? So how he got all this? And watch this. They were offended in him. So they literally looked at how impressed they were at his gifts, but they could not reconcile how gifted he was vis-a-vis -vis the context that they knew he came from. So what was his response? Did he try to stay there and give more of himself and, you know, oh, please believe in me. I, I, I know you know where I came from, but I promise I'm something special. He said, look, a prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. In other words, he said, everywhere I go, they got mad love for me, except the people who've known me since. Some of the worst people in your life are the people who quote unquote knew you in. Fam, I don't care what point in my life you knew me. <laughs> I don't care if you knew Insecure Princeton. I don't care if you knew, you know, Thirsty Princeton. I, I don't care if you knew Princeton who was down on himself. Princeton, I don't care which one you knew. <laughs> what you knew and what you were exposed to at that time does not have any effect on my bearing and understanding of who I am right now. And you have to be at the point where you understand that, that everybody's going to say something like, well, I knew you when, you know, well, I, I remember. Jesus said, look, everywhere else I go, people be hyping me up, fam. And I come home and y'all are tripping that because you know me, you won't allow me to operate in the full identity of who I am now, not in the context that you knew me. And the Bible says he did not many mighty works there because they're unbelief. In other words, he said, I set boundaries around sowing my greatness in terms of my gifts and talents into the lives of those who really don't see me. Fam, that'll bless you if you let it. <laughs> that will bless you if you let it. People who aren't in a place where they can see you for who God has made you to be in this time. 
sometimes they don't deserve your gifts and talents. Sometimes they don't. Let me give you some tangible examples. If they only want to hold you to the person you were in the past, they don't deserve your gifts and talents. If they're at a space and time where they're not willing to accurately compensate you, where they just believe that because y'all homeboys, you're just supposed to, we grew up together. Well, yeah, surely we did. And then after we grew up, I went to school and learned how to do this. And I acquired these skills and they're really good skills that perform higher than the level of most, which means you're going to pay up like everybody else. <laughs> like... I think we constantly be in this space where people feel like they should get different access or that they are entitled to not see us or who we are. Listen, if those are people in those spaces, there go the boundaries. Jesus said, right, I'm not going to do any more work here because you all refuse to see me for who I am. Now, for many of us, we grew up thinking like, that's so mean, like just help them out, like be the bigger person. No, 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 no. Jesus is love. So that means nothing that he does is not love <laughs> like every behavior of Jesus, right? Because he's the substance. He is manifested love, right? So that means that even when he did this, that was love. He loved himself and his purpose more than he did his desire to please the people who didn't see him. So fam, you have to put boundaries. Number one, around your time. Number two, who you give yourself to. Jesus did not reveal his full, true identity to everybody, right? He talked about it, but when he was gonna show himself, like, hey, look at look at what I look with my rays of light. <laughs> like that Jesus, he only showed that to three people, right? And he had 12, but even in his group of friends, right? I'm gonna pause this and I'm gonna throw this in there for free as well. Jesus had associates, an outer circle, and an inner circle. Right. And then he had a best friend, a self-proclaimed best friend, but best friend nonetheless. Right. He had associates, outer circle, inner circle, best friend. Associates were all the people who the Bible would describe as disciples. Jesus had multiple people who followed him everywhere he went. And the Bible proclaims that his squad grew more and more. Right. He had some wonderful women who were people who were the financiers. They were wealthy women who were the financers of Jesus' ministry. They were key partners, right? He had people who he had picked up along the way who said, we will follow you. His squad had gotten cool, but that was his associate group. They could follow him and they could experience life with him, but there were certain pieces that they couldn't do life with him, if that makes any sense. So then he had the 12 who like followed him, who he invested time and energy and they were privy to certain conversations and experiences. And that was his outer circle, right? Those are the people who he is, inviting to birthday dinners and the people who he is you know talking to who know about what's going on in his life but then there are his inner circle the three the peter james and john now these are the people who he can trust right he gets that they get him and he can take them into certain places we see that he takes them into certain rooms when things need to go down right when there's certain different levels of emergency he takes the three with him so that was his inner circle and then he had a best friend a covenant brother, if you will, self-proclaimed, right? John, the writer John of the book of John, kind of proclaims himself the one who Jesus loved. And and we kind of get that because he had a different revelation about who Jesus was. He was like, look, I ain't got time to tell you all these little nursery rhyme stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke told you. I'm about to tell you who he really was in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Like John in chapter one, verse one is giving it to us on a whole different level, right? Positioning himself as Jesus's best friend. So those are some of the other boundaries he set that when he wanted to reveal his identity, he showed it to his inner circle. These are my three. 
I can't even trust my outer circle with this. Like you're all of the three I can trust with me. And then he did not give his gifts and talents to people who did not see him. Boundary number one, his time. Boundary number two, who he gave himself to. Boundary number three, he never did work to prove himself. How many times have you been in a context where somebody says, if this, then this, right? If you really about that life, then do this. If you really love me, then you would do this. Or if you blank, 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 do this. Jesus never did work to prove himself. He was very resolute in knowing who he was, and he was very resolute in knowing what he came to do. So if you weren't about that life, he was not going to do magic tricks to try to make you somehow believe in him. The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, that the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. <laughs> like, look at how cold Jesus is, fam. Like, people rode up on him and was like, so you think you cool or whatever, right? Do something. Break yourself, fool. <laughs> it was just like the Pharisees rode up on Jesus like, if you dope, then do something. And the Bible literally says Jesus eye rolled. Like, Jesus sighed on him. Like, audibly. It was like, oh, goodness gracious. Y'all really want a sign. And y'all ain't going to get one. Wow, fam. And the Bible says he left. Like, no explanation, right? Because sometimes the boundaries that we have to set is to know that you don't owe everyone an explanation as to why you're living your life the way you are. Sometimes you don't owe the world, like, hey, you know, the reason why I, we stopped hanging out was be like, you don't owe the world that Jesus said you will not get a sign and there's no explanation as to why you will get one. Now, I'm going to go back in this here boat and I'm going to go to the other side because I got to deal with people who actually really want something. Right. He had boundaries around never doing work to prove himself. The other thing that is interesting is that he always asked when he was healing people, and in many cases we find, that he asked, wilt thou be made whole? He was not going to give himself to someone who did not want to be a partner in their healing. If you're expecting me to do all of this for you, fam, I'm not quite the one. There was always a partnership between the people who were healed and Jesus the healer, right? And we can go through this time and time again to see where Jesus always, always, always required some sort of demonstration because faith is not about some miraculous superstition where you just believe that the divine nature above is going to just drop something out randomly without you having to do anything. That's not the kind of God that we serve. It's not the kind of God that's presented in the Bible that Jesus I knew was always like, you're going to put your work in. And the meeting of the divine and supernatural is that you accept human responsibility so that then I can insert divine sovereignty. And miracles are the combination of both the work that you put in plus the things that only God could do. So he always asks, like the Bible says in John, John chapter five, verse six, a certain man was there at the pool of Bethesda, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said to him, "Wilt thou be made whole. Now, this seems kind of insensitive. Why, why are you going to ask me? Do I want to be made whole? And I've been in here 38 years. 
because Jesus was articulating. I believe that he was a firm believer of this. And I said this in a sermon that I preached that I'll probably release on the podcast. I said this, how long you suffered does not entitle you to success. The work you're willing to put in on your heart does. So Jesus was like, just because I showed up and you've been sick 38 years, don't mean magic about to happen, fam. <laughs> you have to be a willing participant. And he says, take up your bed and walk. Be a participant. You have to want it and demonstrate that you do. And then as you demonstrate that you're a partner in this, I'm going to allow my healing to flow, which is something that you can't provide for yourself. Don't try to do more for people than they're willing to do for themselves is the whole point of that. When people want your help, when people want you to be a mentor, a big sister, a counselor, anything, fam, look for signs that they want help. Look for signs that they're not expecting you to come in. And there were people who I had to stop talking to because they came to me for counseling for the same thing all three times. And I had given them like, here are the resources you need to reach for. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you can start to think through this. And every time they came back, like, oh, I'm just struggling with, well, fam, like, I'm not going to do this for you. And there comes a point where I'm now going to start to be cautious around us even having these discussions because you show me that you don't want it. So I'm going to withhold my wisdom and my emotional labor for you to show me that you really want it. And I'll be here when you do. This is the example Jesus set for us. One, he sets boundaries around his time. Two, he set boundaries around who he gave himself to. Three, he set boundaries around never working to prove himself, right? Never doing anything because somebody said like, hey, if you're this, then do this. And this is even consistent with Satan in Luke chapter four. Satan says, look, if you be the son of God, then do X, Y, and Z. Jesus is like, I don't need to prove to you, Satan of all people, who I am. So uh, Dr. Matthew Stevenson out of Chicago, somebody who I deeply love, said these words and they changed my life. He said, it, he didn't say it to me, he said it in a sermon. He said, you have nothing to prove. And I want you to interrogate your motives for doing things. And I want you to tease out how much of it is you doing it because you believe it has relevance to your life versus you doing it because you feel like you need to prove something to show that you are strong enough, wealthy enough, whole enough, achieved enough, masculine enough, feminine enough, in love enough, whatever that enough thing is that you're trying to prove, get that out of here, fam. Set boundaries around you not doing things to prove, right? He always asks people, will you be made whole? I need you to be a participant in this. And the last thing, and I'm about to let you go. He had boundaries around what he tolerated. I'm gonna give you two more, then I'm gonna let you go. He had boundaries around what he tolerated. He did not tolerate these three things. He did not tolerate hypocrisy. Read Matthew 12. I don't have time to read the whole thing. He did not tolerate judgment. So in John chapter 8, when the um, Pharisees come and they have accused this woman or, or said that they caught her in adultery, right? And he says, whoever has not sinned, cast the first stone. You know it better than I almost messed up. Ah. <laughs> he that is without sin, cast the first stone. I will not tolerate judgment. And Jesus never did. He was like, if you have time to judge others, then I, as supreme ruler of all, am going to point out all the things that you should be working on right now. Which is why Jesus said, don't have so much time pointing out the speck in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own. He didn't tolerate judgment. And he did not tolerate abuse in his space. Jesus turned all the way up in John chapter 2. 
when he realized that his space that was supposed to be a house of prayer and worship was a space of commercialism. It was a space of money. It was a space of living that life. It was a space of trying to get there. There's a C word I'm trying to get in my head right now. Do y'all see me digging for it? You feel me digging for it. I could always edit and put it in later. Anyway, capitalism. Yes, Princeton. <laughs> he realized that the church had become a space for capitalism. Now, I could do a whole episode on that alone because we're still seeing that in Western Christianity. And Jesus went in there with a whip and tore up. He was like, ah, ah, ah. Maybe not. <laughs> He did not tolerate that. I want you to, to, in your notes, make space to answer this question. What are the list of things that you will not tolerate in relationships? What will you not tolerate in the spaces around you? And what type of things will you not tolerate as far as the treatment of others around you? What will you not tolerate in relationships with you? What will you not tolerate in your space? And what will you not tolerate to happen to others around you. This is the last thing and we're going home. Jesus had boundaries around what he responded to. Jesus real quick would give you a short answer or no answer. He said in Luke 23 verse 3, Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus didn't go into a long like, Listen, if you look at my track record, blase, 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 I, you know, actually I, I've proven. Mm-mm. He said these three words. You said it. <laughs> like Jesus was so cold, man. I love it. Jesus said, you said it. Oh, so you think you about to go to college now? You said it. Oh, so you think you just on another level, right? You just going to be all whole. And, oh, you said it. He knew what not to respond to. I want you to do some work and say, what types of things are not my response or don't deserve my response? You can tell how much a person loves themselves by which battles they fight. People who don't truly love themselves feel like they have to fight every single battle and every single hater and every single thing somebody says about you and every single person who looks at you sideways. And you get to a point where you love you so much, you're just like, it ain't worth it, fam. I know how to give little or no response. I hope this has been helpful. As you go on your self-love journey, right, this is the work. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you haven't been doing it while you listen to this episode, I want you to spend some time alone and in whatever method means good to you or works for you, meditation, journaling, or writing. If you need to, if you have a particular prayer method that, that you use, whatever it might be, I want you to spend time with yourself working out these categories, working out these categories. I think I even gave you a fifth boundary. So now I got to change the whole topic. It's five boundaries of Jesus. <laughs> but I want you to write down each boundary. Boundary around time. These are my time boundaries. And I want you to list them. How will you spend time alone? How often? What will you do? Where will you go? Two, I want you to write who I give myself to and set your boundaries. These are people and places that I will not give my talents to. These are people or places who I will not allow to know the full extent of me. Three, I want you to write in what ways you feel like you've had to prove yourself. 
and who you feel like you need to prove yourself to and set boundaries around that. I will not do anything to prove. Write the names perhaps of people who you feel like aren't willing to help themselves and make a conscious commitment to put boundaries around how much time you spend doing emotional labor for them and counseling them through their problems or that kind of thing. It doesn't mean you don't love them, but they have to love themselves enough to put in the work on themselves and not put it all on you. Four, what you tolerate. I want you to write, I will not tolerate, and then in relationships, in my space, and what happens around me to other people. I will not tolerate these three things. And then five, I want you to write what things are not worth a response. You have limits. Jesus was unlimited and yet he still had boundaries. And I believe that's because he wanted to be an example for you and for I. If you are a believer in Christ, I hope that this has empowered you to know that, yes, you are anointed. Yes, you are gifted. And yes, you want to love everybody. But that does not come at the expense of loving yourself so that you can be your best so that God can use you. I pray that this begins a new conversation in you around boundaries and that you will feel confident in them and that you will celebrate them and that you've been given permission to engage in that work and not feel bad about it because one, you deserve it. And two, best of all, Jesus demonstrated that, which means we ought to be on top of it. If you are listening to this and not a believer, first of all, thank you for listening and for trusting me enough to share things about my faith that I really love with you. And even if some of these things resonated, I hope that you will be able to take a second look at the gospel of Jesus Christ to know that many of the principles that we see around wholeness and healthy living and emotional health are not far off from the Bible. In fact, they are many of them are in direct ties and roots of what we've seen demonstrated in the life of Jesus. So I hope you be encouraged to know that it doesn't have to be an either or where I either go over here where I have my emotional health or I go over here where I get, you know, God and Christology and Jesus Christ in the spirit. No, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have life more abundantly. That abundantly word refers to a fullness of life. And the way that you can have that is to make sure that your boundaries are clear, that they are strong and that you are honoring them. Not because you are afraid of what might happen if you don't have boundaries, but because you love yourself and believe that you are your best when you do have boundaries. I love you so much. And I can't say thank you enough for listening to this episode. Listen, if this helped you at all, I want you to do just a few things for me. Number one, I want you to email me. I want to hear from you. Email me at buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. That's buildingwithprinceton at gmail.com. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to download this episode and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I want you to get every episode. Listen, I spend a lot of time to make sure you get heat. I ain't just in here talking because I'm bored. I want you to get heat. I want you to build the best thing you can because your purpose is depending on it and God's depending on it. So subscribe. And then I want you to share, 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 share this with somebody who needs this message. They might be in either one of those two categories. And the last thing, fam, 
I want you to follow me. <laughs> follow me at Princeton Parker on Instagram. My Instagram is popping. I really like it. I want you to follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. And you can even subscribe to my YouTube page and see some of the live content, okay? I want to hear from you. I want to connect with you. And ask me any questions. If you want me to talk about something in the future or you didn't get it, I'd love to connect with you. You've listened to my mouth for an hour. And guess what? If you want to, you can listen to me for another hour when the next episode comes out. I appreciate you so much. Till next time, again, with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family.